live from CUBE headquarters in Palo Alto, California. It's the Silicon Valley Friday Show with John Furrier. Welcome to the Silicon Valley Friday Show. I'm John Furrier. A great show for you lined up. What a week it's been here in Silicon Valley and in Barcelona where we had a first ever remote CUBE broadcast here from our studios in the CUBE in Palo Alto where we had an in-studio two days special broadcast coverage with all of our friends, experts, commentary, influencers, analysts, breaking down and covering Mobile World Congress in Spain. That was Monday and Tuesday. We had people on the ground in Barcelona, reporters, analysts, and friends calling in and we had almost 30 interviews here inside the CUBE's great. We have two guests um, that are going to be on today. Sargalai, also called Sarcastic Goliath because he was kind of critical on 5G, one of the hot trends in Silicon Valley. And Alan Cohn, one of our uh, previous guests on Silicon Valley Friday show, um, and he's going to be talking about you know, mobile world company. He's a wireless expert, but also we're going to talk about some of the societal issues around Silicon Valley, some politics around tech policy, and some other kind of Sunday conversations you usually, usually see on the talk shows. But first, in Silicon Valley this week, the big story, besides the Mobile World Congress on our two-day coverage, was the Snapchat IPO filing, which was reported by the Wall Street Journal a few days ago that their initial public offering is going to be around $17 a share, up from $14 to $16, and that's going to raise 20, a valuation of $24 billion. And so a lot of criticism is already coming on the Twitter sphere and in the conversations around, they don't have what it takes, they may not make it, they're losing users to Instagram, um, and they're doing too much you know, work around drones and 360 degree cameras. Here's my take. I think Snapchat can and most likely will be very, very successful, and I'll tell you why, but there is a caveat to that. If Snapchat doesn't fall into the trap of trying to be like Facebook today, they'll can win. And if they build a platform, whether it's camera-based or whatever, and then not try to do anything other than what Snapchat does, keep that feature, and then use the cash to buy growth. And this is what Facebook did. So remember Facebook. Facebook tried to be successful, but first thing that they did was they broke out of the college game by letting, it, like, letting parents in from uh, into Facebook. They built the platform in 2007, and then they tried to go beyond Facebook. Yeah, they had advertising product, that wasn't a user product. Facebook was a one-trick pony. It still is a only one application. They failed at poke, they failed at a variety of uh, efforts during their key phase of growth and failed. This is proof positive that if Snapchat tries too much to R&D, they'll never get there. They got to use the cash and they got to buy company. So that's that. Other, other news is, you know, Uber still is in the news this week. Um, there was a video of Travis, the CEO, um, you know, kind of laying into a driver. And, and I thought it was a little bit, I mean, he was obviously looked like he was drunk. I mean, he was probably buzzed. And we take Uber, uh, people take Uber when they drink too much. And the guy was basically talking about the black uh, car rates and how they dropped. And he basically snapped at the end and left the cab. It went viral. He's now apologizing. Another PR disaster, one after the other. Um, I think a little bit over the top, uh, but still they got problems at Uber and uh, hopefully they can clear that up. Big fan of the company. But again, more action more talk about entrepreneurship. We're going to do that in our next segment with Sargalai and Alan Cohen. Again, this is the Silicon Valley Friday show here in Silicon Valley in Palo Alto. I'm John Furrier. We'll be back with more after this short break. Complex integrations and bloated enterprise applications are in the past. 
Welcome to the age of the Agile Business App. Brought to you by SAP Cloud Platform. With comprehensive application development services and capabilities, you can extend and personalize your current on-premises and cloud applications. Quickly build and deploy rich, lightweight, enterprise-ready cloud apps. Integrate and connect everything, regardless of where it is or who built it. Connect your fleet, your assets, your anything to the Internet of Things. Discover over 1,000 apps built by SAP partners on the only platform as a service designed for your mission-critical business apps and brought to you by the global leader of business applications. SAP Cloud Platform drives business agility, supports an optimized enterprise while accelerating your company's digital transformation journey now and into the future. With SAP Cloud Platform, the age of the agile business app belongs to you. SAP Cloud Platform. You're listening to the Silicon Valley Friday Show with John Furrier. Uh, welcome to the Silicon Valley Friday Show. I'm John Furrier. Our guest uh, today is Sargalai, um, entrepreneur, in between gigs, former SVP and GM of the communications division at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Uh, reporting to Meg Whitman, built that business from the ground up to thousands of people. Thanks for spending the time. Great to be here. Um, so 5G um, is the big theme at Mobile World Congress. Network transformation is the big theme at Mobile World Congress this past week uh, in Barcelona. You have a dynamic now where real tech's being built, right? And so you're starting to see more action, I call it more action in, in hardcore tech. Um, certainly, the, the, you got the, the, the application guys still doing their thing. It's complicated now, it's not as easy to get into the infrastructure game, and some of the VCs that I've talked to who have been hardcore infrastructure servers and, and, and networks say it's moving from plumbing to machinery. Um, so it's not really that good for entrepreneurs in, in the infrastructure, but it's certainly changing, there are opportunities. What's your thoughts uh, going on right now? Well, I think there's always a, a dynamic. I mean, certainly the public cloud, you know, has taken a lot of the oxygen out of the system in terms yeah. of infra classic infra. I mean, obviously you see a lot of activity around hyperconverged, although honestly to me, hyperconverged is just basically, you know, storage. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry you can call it hyperconverged, but it's just, <laughs> you know, new storage using, you know, virtualized storage using classic, um, you know, uh, Intel architecture. And you know, that's a good market. There's good opportunities there. Uh, what I do see actually that's quite interesting that I think is, uh, has been one of the things that I think is a bit surprising. I think there's a resurgence in specialized hardware even at the chip level. And the reason for that is because what we are seeing is sort of the slowing down if not the end of Moore's law. Certainly it's slowed down. You were on our Silicon, uh, our, our special coverage of Mobile World Congress and uh, we, we talked about 5G. That seems to be the gravity point uh, in wireless. You and I talked before we came on yeah. here that you got some new data, you did some digging around and you got some more skepticism or, or hype uh, uh, opinions on 5G. What are I they? brought some salt to put in the Kool-Aid. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, five. I think it's important people get ahead of themselves. I think 5G, 
5G, the, the thing is to understand, you know, what is the technical things behind 5G? Because I think if you understand what the technology is, it helps to understand how it can be applied. And if you look at cellular today, right, it's primarily used, the bandwidth, the, the, the bands used for cellular are somewhere between 700 megahertz to maybe 2.4. In some places a bit higher, but generally speaking, that's it, or 2.2, mm -hmm. 2.5, Sprint has some 2.5. But under three megahertz, typically, okay? Those have a really good propagation. They mm -hmm. propagate really well, they go through walls. It's, there's, there's a reason we're using good those Good for transceivers, good to you know, receive, it, yeah, back. Yeah, and, and then you know, they, they go through walls, they go through things. It's, it, it's, you know, that bandwidth doesn't have a ton of capacity, although it's got a fair amount, because the higher the frequency, the more capacity it has. Um, now, you, know, you can improve you know, how many, the, the real question always is how many bits per hertz, right? How many bits per hertz you can squeeze? And you can improve that by using MIMO, right? Multiple in, multiple out, massive MIMO, and so mm -hmm. forth. But you're not going to have improvements by order of magnitude. Okay, we're already doing this. You can see it in Wi-Fi. So, and LTE Advanced, and LTE Pro, and all these other LTE things already do that. And you're going to probably see more of that being rolled out than 5G. 5G really talks about, beyond just these improvements, also using other bands primarily millimeter wave bands or bands that are, you know, five gigahertz, for example, which is used for Wi-Fi, so they want to use some of that, um, 28, 27, 60, so forth. And there, all of a sudden, you have so much more spectrum. And that will actually give you things like 10 gigabit and so forth. But there's a one minor issue that nobody seems to talk about. These things don't go through walls. Again, I can't keep on repeating this, okay? They don't go through walls. They yeah, don't go through rain. Well, and trees, of course. And, and trees and, and all kinds of other things that happen to exist in the, in the universe. And so the, 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 the way 5G is being looked at, I said, yes, you'll be able to use that in certain situations. In other situations, you'll be using like LTE Advanced and the existing bands. The point is that you know, the, the mileage will vary depending on line of sight. You shouldn't assume that everything yeah. you get today was LTE, you're going to be able to get was 28 megahertz. It's not gigahertz. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, we've all been in tunnels. We've all been in those holes where the dead you spots. You can be in your room. Yeah, but, but here's where I'll push back on you. Here's where I'll push back on you. I agree. So let's break down the basics of wireless, not the I'm gonna, I want to. It's okay, you got me and I agree. Uh, okay. <laughs> I agree to some level, but let's go down and, and for the folks watching, kind of do a one-on-one on wireless. There are, there's line of sight, which means a frequency goes, a signal goes out and the antenna on they the phone see has other. to see each other and talk yep. back and handshake no back and forth. Then there's more of a cloud-like propagation, like spread spectrum, for instance, on Wi-Fi, where it goes through walls and, and whatnot. And 2.4, I mean, five, concrete, for those of you at home, know that five gigahertz, for example, you know, the people who use 5.4 or 5.8 or 5 yeah. uh, in Wi-Fi will know that, you know, while you have more power, Power, right? Yeah. It doesn't go through walls as well. And and the ones that go through walls is the holy grail. I think UHF, for instance, you put a little antenna on your TV back in the old days, you get the signal, but then the, you lose your bandwidth. So there's different characteristics of the wireless for that. Correct. So, so that's that. So now that's assuming that you're saying that the 5G is a one-trick pony spectrum. I'm not saying that. Okay. I'm you, not saying that. Okay. Well, well I thought you what said I, that. What I'm saying, look. There's a spectrum that exists, and there's a spectrum that's not available. The spectrum that they're being talking about is there's the existing LTE spectrum, but most of that is spoken for yeah. or owned by various players. Like, I, I think, again, if you look today, now there's still bids. All the out. auctions and all that big money like games. I think AT&T, for example, I believe, I could be wrong, yeah. so I don't want to be like, you know, but in general, I think they own about 60 megahertz in those bands. Yeah. You know, they can buy some more, but they're not going to buy another 2 gigahertz. 
that spectrum and the nice bands, the bands that are useful, that propagate really well, that's spoken for and there's not a ton of it. That's scarce. And you can, yeah, and you can add MIMO and a bunch of other things to get some more bits per hertz, but it's yeah. not order of magnitude. You're squeezing that last efficiency yeah. out of it, basically. Yeah, LT is already pretty good. There's always yeah. more you can do. I told you there's a startup that I am familiar with that actually is trying to do much better, but in general. Now. But one gigabit LTE, which is what the analyst in, at Mobile World I was talking about, is actually would be damn good. Right? That's I mean, going to be hard. That's going to be really hard in the existing spectrum. When they're talking about that, they're talking about millimeter wave. Okay. That's what I keep on saying. When the people talk about capacity, they forget to mention at what frequency. And yes, the beauty of 5G is says we're going to have radios that can go anywhere. I mean, that's what Intel, when you look at Intel's new chipsets, they're talking about, hey, I'm going to have a radio that can go anywhere from 900 or you know, 2 gigahertz to 60 gigahertz. And I'll choose what I need depending what situation is. That's true. But when you choose the lower one, you're not going to have the same capacity. Okay, I'm yeah. just, all I'm saying is no, when I someone so, talks about. No, it's a good conversation. I want to have this conversation because it's important because now it brings up more of the opportunity that I see, which is, uh, I don't think it's a one-trick pony, and I think that the future, in my opinion, will be based upon using spectrum intelligently. Meaning, That's what 5G is about. And, and that means, okay, spectrum sharing. So it means if for mobility, for instance, and you and I talked about this last time, is that the trade-off between capacity and dense areas versus mobility is the trade-off. So the, the problem is, is that the, <laughs> the people who own the spectrum are bogarting it for their use. And well, they so, need it, but I'll give you an example, okay? People talk about, let's look at a simple use case, okay? Fixed wireless access, okay? Fixed wireless access is probably the best use of early 5G. Compete against cable, you know, I can give you a gigabit top to the home, or I can, and I can guarantee you the same as cable, which as is- As long as it's not snowing. Well, we'll talk, we'll get to that okay, in a second. All right, all right. But let's assume for a second, <laughs> fix, uh, you know, I'll do that, I'll give you a gigabit max, and like, you know, I'll do up to 30 or 40 down, and I can do up as well. So as good as cable, as good as Comcast, right? Okay, we won't discuss other things there, I have friends there. <laughs> right? I want the good rate, yeah, don't yeah, throttle yeah, me down. Yeah, as good as Comcast. Now, <laughs> the question you have to ask yourself, and I know a bit about this from my experience in some mesh companies, what's the density? How many towers per square mile to do that, right? So if you're thinking about regular frequencies, you know, you, you can use a few per square mile, but that's not what you're thinking about. You're, they're talking about using millimeter wave. Millimeter wave means you need one like every 100 meters, okay? That's expensive. Base station, you mean, basically. Yeah, towers, base stations, yeah. That's not... And that's expensive. That's expensive. That's not realistic, right? And, and you'll see, you know, there's all these trials right now about fiber replacement using millimeter wave, let me, you know, let's, let's catch up in a year and see how those are going. So efficiency is a key thing, I can see that, but there has to be some sort of sharing uh, open spectrum thing that, I've heard some conversations around the notion of openness. There is, but it's not in these, it's not in the frequencies, that the, the ones that are important, it's in the higher ones. It's in the millimeter wave because there's so much you can share. There's so is, not it, enough. is 5G stunted at birth? No, I think, I think, I think 5G, is going to be very helpful. It's going to enable you to use a lot more spectrum. I think it's just important when people talk about certain trials to ask them which frequency we're using. Is it line of sight, non-line of sight? And I think it's going to be much more of an evolution from LTE to LTE Pro than this massive revolution like we had when we moved from, you know, people say, well, it's going to be the difference between, you know, uh, feature phones to smartphones. No, it's not. It's not going to be. 
right? Because feature phone is like a 300-baud right, so modem, and a smartphone okay. is... So I'm going to put you on the spot, so here's the, here's the question. What are the key things that you need to see from a benchmarking perspective to give you comfort that the 5G path that they're going down will work, and what are some of the things that give you pause or a red flag? No, I, I think it will all work, but I'm just saying, if someone says to me, I'm doing you know, 10 megabit or one, you know, or a gigabit, uh, right, on one square mile, I'm going to ask them, okay, what frequency are you using and what's the density? So I, I think it will be better, this, but I think some of it is going to be LTE advanced. Some of it is going to be better LTE. Now, there are use cases that are going to be much better because of MIMO and so forth. But again, I, my problem isn't that it's not going to be useful. I think it's going to be very useful. I think when people talk to me and say it's going to be like the difference between a feature phone and a smartphone, and I'm saying, no, it's not. Sorry. It's not. What do you mean by that? I don't understand. What, what I mean is like you know, in a feature phone, right, you didn't get any data. You didn't get nothing, right? All you could do is maybe send text messages. In a smartphone, you can watch videos. Okay, okay that's so a big difference. One's a computer, one's a device. Yeah, one's a, yeah. It's like 300 baud modem, right? <laughs> for those who under, probably most of your audience will not know what that is, but 300 baud modem for those who remember at home and the dial-up days and and, the, and Comcast today or even LTE today. Okay, that's a big delta. Okay, it's not going to be that level of delta. People, so if people are expecting the same jump that we had when we moved to LTE. That's not the jump. So you see it, don't see that jump. Okay, I got to ask you a question. So now put your startup hat on because you are talking to a lot of companies and Correct. you have experience in this area. What are the bright spots, entrepreneurially speaking, in the valley and in, in the community around innovations in this area? Um, physics matters, right? Again, I mean, the fourth thing I did remember, the fourth thing that we talked about, economics. So physics, legal, economics, authority. Authority being security and whatnot, so access. Um, Innovations in general, or specifically to five. What, what are the startups working on? So, as a startup, I mean, sit there rubbing nickel, their nickels together, inventing new patents, new technologies. Where will be the Where will be the action? Well, I mean, most of the action, like always, you know, startups or the VCs, as you know, there's sort of a follow lemming sort of environment, yeah. and currently yeah. there are a bunch of different trends. I mean, first of all, you know, there's a Cambrian explosion of AI. So basically. People have figured out how to do some really interesting AI stuff. Most of it, by the way, just to be clear, and I'm not inventing anything by saying this, is just using things we've known for many years, but we never had the storage, and we never had the bandwidth to do it. And compute. Yeah, now that you have you know, a Cray and an iPhone, then you can do this. And so people are going back to all these algorithms. Everybody said, well, that's great, but we could never do it, and are running machine learning. So now the question is, the same way that people said, how can I apply compute to stuff back in the day? Now people are saying, well, what can I apply machine learning to? Can I apply it to security? Can I apply it to customer service? Can I apply it to drones? Can I apply it to cars? So there's a massive, everywhere I go to talk to someone, oh, I'm applying AI. I mean, there's all these companies doing AI to Wi-Fi, right? And, and this is real, this is not like noise. They are actually putting things, there's a lot of AI voice now is the next big thing, is oh, we're going to make voice AI. You know, I wrote a bit of an article about how AI is the big thing for the iPhone, because you can talk to your iPhone and send messages, which for me is very useful, because I can't type um, <laughs> very well, according to people who receive my messages at least. So um, I think there's a huge element of AI for something. Like, you know, before there was like two years ago, it was big data for something, now it's AI for something. We're here with Sargalai, industry executive, uh, it's on theCUBE. Let's, let's stay on the AI theme. AI, obviously, I think AI is super hyped up more than 5G, but I think AI is simply a mental model for people to put their hands on because IBM's proven with IBM Cognitive and Watson winning the Jeopardy. Gives people, oh my God, that's the magic I've been waiting for, some magical things happening. But, you know, AI's been around for a while, to your point. It's now Not we like this, though. Well, because of the points you mentioned. You got because storage, you got compute, you got some data. So the question for you is, 
data before is greater than algorithms or algorithms are greater than data? Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? That's the debate. Which um, ones comes well, first? Well, I think neither are useful without the other. I mean, data... Would you if, rather have data over the algorithms or algorithm first, then the data? I, if I have the algorithm, but I don't get the data, the algorithm is not that useful. So you got to have the data, but if you have the data, you need to go apply the algorithm. The thing is, I would say there's more scarcity in data than algorithm, okay? Because data you have to get from somewhere, yeah. which is why some of the big cloud providers, IBM, have such an advantage because they already have the data. You know, IBM bought all the hair scale data. So you need the data. Um, algorithms are less scarce because, you know, again, I, there's most, a lot of AI stuff is out there in the open. It's not like it's this big secret algorithm that nobody can figure out. It's, but if you run the data and you work it. So I think data in general is more important, which is why the, it, it is harder as a Quality startup. data, clean data or relevant data. The relevant right data that it can be used for learning and teaching is, is very important. If you have an algorithm and you don't have access to data, you yeah. can't even prove the algorithm. Sorry, I want to ask you kind of just take a, take a step back. Let's go up into the tree and watch the wind blow and take a high level view of the marketplace and let's kind of smoke the peace pipe and, and, and well, think about, think about, here, the, would, think about the future. <laughs> let's talk about, um, I want to get your thoughts. So let, we're going to look back at this time now and say, okay, all this IoT, 5G maybe will come in whatever form it will be. But clearly the, the iPhone in 2007 was, was a seminal moment. Now we're in this uh, transitional era where a lot of new things are happening. Obviously the, the, they trot out the autonomous cars and smart cities, all that stuff. That's nice sex, sexy IQ candy for, for the people to get a picture of it. But there's going to be a management book, a, a Peter Drucker or some sort of core competency version of Harvard Business School or Babson Business School where people are going to say the management, successful management techniques of that time were blank. So first of all, it's always easy to look back, right? Everyone's a genius <laughs> looking back. I was going to say, let's smoke the peace pipe yeah, and look down. But, 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 but in general, I think that since the environment is so dynamic, speed admit decision making is important. And I think if, if there's one thing that I think has become more and more important is, you know, there, things are faster and faster. You know, it used to be that it would be four years to release a product, then it would be one year, now they release it every few days based on stuff. So building whatever you build has to be built in a way that it's fast and it can adjust to changes. I always tell people, let's focus on what you know and focus on what you don't know, what you don't know, figure out what your assumptions are and test those assumptions every few days to see if it's changed. Uh, and I think managing through change and building an environment that is flexible is going to be critical. And, and, and I think that's really, you know, you see the companies that are successful, they're able to change. As soon as they see something different, as soon as they see something, they change. They don't take nine months to plan it out. Uh, obviously harder for large companies, but, yeah. and iterate. Final question, what, share some anecdotal comment around what you're hearing in the coffee shops in Palo Alto or Los Altos where you live or in Silicon Valley in general. What's some of the general sentiment right now that you're hearing, you're overhearing or having direct conversations with these days in the Valley? What's, what's, what's going on? Well, I think there's different aspects, I think, but in, you know, in the funding area, I think it's, it's getting colder. It's getting harder. I think people are now asking for customers, paying customers, you know, proof points more than let's say it was two or three years ago. So I think it's become, and maybe it hasn't shown up yet at the higher level, but I think uh, you can see that, and it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing, but yeah. it's, it's harder funding now. The bar to get A funding yeah. has gone up. 
Sargalai here in the Silicon Valley Friday Show. Thanks for coming on. Our next segment will be, you know, Alan, uh, we're going to, Alan Cohen coming on and we'll be talking more about what's going on in Silicon Valley in, in, after this short break. Robert Hershevik. People obviously know you from Shark Tank, but the Hershevik group has been really laser focused on cybersecurity. So I actually helped to bring a product called Checkpoint to Canada, firewalls, URL filtering, that kind of stuff. But you're also an entrepreneur, right? And you know the business. You've been in software, you in the tech business. And I'm, I'm striking, you get a lot of pitches as entertainment meets business. On our show, we're a bubble. We don't do a lot of tech deals like we're talking because it's boring TV. Tech people love tech. Yeah. Consumers love the benefit of tech. Yeah. You know, no consumer opens up their iPhone and says, oh my gosh, I love the technology behind my iPhone. What's it been like being on the Shark Tank? You know, filming is fun and hanging out it's fun and it's fun to be a celebrity at first your head gets really big and you get really good tables at restaurants and who says tech isn't uh, got a little pizzazz I mean, more skin in the game in charge of his destiny Robert Hershevik no dancing with stars of course his chief alumni you're listening to the Silicon Valley Friday show with John Furrier Hey, welcome back, everyone. We are here at Silicon Valley Friday Show. I'm John Furrier. Uh, this week, a lot of stuff happening in Silicon Valley. And our guest on this segment is Alan Cohn, who's the Chief Commercial Officer of Lumio Back. Great to have you, great commentary. Always fun to uh, shoot the breeze with you here and, and talk about what's going on in Silicon Valley. Uh, obviously, you, you're a legend in Silicon Valley. And last time we were on the show, the New York Times wrote up uh, our content. So let's see if we can't get to the next highest pantheon fake of fake news. <laughs> the, the failing New York Times picked us up. Uh -huh. So great to have them. So let's create some fake news right now. Okay. So. Um, what do you have for fake news for us today? Fake news and fake news. Well, obviously, one of the things this week in the Valley is don't be an asshole, right? <laughs> uh, oops, I'm sorry. We're we allowed to say that no, on we, the air? No, it's internet TV. You can say what you want. You can drop the F-bomb if you want to. Uh, so, the, yeah, so you're referring to the Uber guy, yeah. SVP of engineering, who was fired because he did not disclose in his um, hiring process to Uber from Google that there was a sexual harassment claim against him. But... This is on the heels of Travis eating the PR nightmare the week before about a woman who was yeah. uh, filed a sexual harassment with HR, well, I mean, and they didn't take action on it because he was a high performer, programmer culture, fast and loose rocket ship in Silicon Valley, bad behavior, dredge up all this dirt. So you know the lynch mob went after Travis, and then well, the I mean, VP of engineering yeah. gets hung because they found some historical non-verified claim, although. Kara Swisher claims that she did verify it, but um, no one charges were ever filed. Right, so I'm not personally close to the situation. I don't know any of the principals involved, but there's two lessons for us here in Silicon Valley. One, the tolerance for bad behavior is pretty low, and the ability to, as a superpowered individual, to protect your own rights or to take action against bad behavior, uh, I'm, once again, I'm not a judge, I'm not judging the facts in it, is pretty high, yeah. right? So, you know, for those of us who grew up in kind of more corporate environment, you saw things, but things kind of got squashed down. You know, you can yeah. write a blog and turn an entire company inside out in a week, so I think. Referring to the woman's claims and the, yeah, the commentary. That, right, I mean, I read it, it's horrifying stuff. Yeah. If it's true, yeah, their head should roll, right? Yeah. So I think uh, we all who are building companies, right, and we're a little smaller than Uber, and yeah. Lumia, we're working on it, right? But it's. Um, 
you're never too small and you're not, you're never yeah. too large. And, but bad, to behavior, but behavior. bad behavior happens. We were just talking, yeah. I mean, hell, I've done a lot of bad behavior in my days, but that was before Instagram and, and uh, YouTube was around. But I mean, it's all fun. You, you're in your 20s and you're doing some you know th crazy things. But this is borderline really, really bad stuff. So, you know, young companies, this is a lesson to me on what I call the fast and loose rocket ships. Right. You know, the you know, the companies that just rapidly grow, go from thirty employees to a thousand, huge venture capital investment, processes aren't in place, they're not baked, and then the culture well, on the I top, mean, you got to act on these things. I mean, you think you got to you know, rip the weeds out early. Well you, well, you have to do that, right? I mean, I think Reed Hoff, um, Reed, um, help me, CEO of Netflix, Reed Hastings, Hastings right? Says, we don't tolerate assholes even if they're high performers. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what, it's a great lesson for people who are building companies. And you can't, I mean, like Uber's not a small company, right? It's yeah. actually a fairly large uh, company and it's, a, it's almost a public utility. We all use Uber and love this service. Yeah. So I think uh, we're all being schooled or reminded that we're in a different business And the Reed Hastings quotes is great. I'm going to re rephrase yeah. it because I think it's important because this is, applies to Uber. Right. His quote was, um, even even the high-performing uh, assholes can be disruptive to the company, implying that right. they're not worth it. Not worth in it. In this case, uh, the Uber, the, the woman was harassed sexually by, a, as HR said, a high-performing employee. So that's a case in point to the Reed Hoffman's uh, ethos there. Uh, but then also with the Google guy, he was fired because he was the SVP of engineering, again, in the same department of the engineering I mean, but where it diversity. Really, but it breaks sense really simple, like don't lie and don't ever do anything you want to read about in the New York Times the next day. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just kind of a yeah. couple of cardinal rules and like uh, it, it it just doesn't it doesn't really work right it's, yeah. and it's you know what's what's a real lesson is that you have a company that has created an enormous amount of value yep. has created a great service that i mean it's been terrific right and well I mean, Kara Schreiber <laughs> broke that story and i thought she had it uh, she kind of did yeah. bury it a little at the end but she's pointing out the kind of the bad behavior and he that wasn't truthful but it, she then went on to say that he was really well respected now yeah. so you know again so back Stalin, to, right again, again yeah. back to your point about about truth yeah, no, I think we, we, you know, look, I always said we were joking about fake news, right? Most, <laughs> most marketing in the Valley is some form of fake news about products. Right, no one is ever as good as their product. I would never do that myself, of course. But you know, there's never any. It's always the demo version always works great. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody flipped the somebody flipped the switch wrong. Right, they, the API was off. So, you know, there we tend to kind of because we're creating things all the time, bend the curve a little. But in interactions among people, you can't bend the curve. Like you can push people hard, you can ask them to work hard, you can incentivize them to you know put in nights and weekends and give up a lot of their times, but you can't treat them other than human beings and i think it's uh you know people are very tense right now in the country you know because yeah. of the political environment and i think things are very over, over you know hyper hyper um hyper intense on that front you know but the, yeah it, i mean certainly the the trump situation is pretty radical with the whole immigration thing and now with his policies it's just people are in are in are going crazy here well, I mean, you know, you also have 24-hour news cycle. That's the other thing, whether it's any of these incidents, like nothing goes away, right? And it, yeah. it gets, you know, it gets thrown on Facebook, it gets thrown on Twitter. I mean, look look at Twitter. Twitter is like a really cool company. It's had the exact same product for eight years. Hasn't changed, <laughs> right? And interestingly, the other, you know, the other kind of thing for us here in Silicon Valley is that the vehicles that people are increasingly used to get information haven't been necessarily particularly advanced. Yeah. Right, because you know the other big thing that's gone on in the valley the last two weeks has been kind of a recursive and reflexive look at the inability to sort out fake news 
and yeah. bad information on these increasingly important um, vehicles for news and information, right? Yeah. Um, there, there is no editor on Twitter. You can say whatever you want. You can repeat things, the, the stories, and I think actually it was last week or this week, you know, mm -hmm. I think both Google and uh, Facebook has started, I think, fairly significant and, and yeah. aggressive moves well, on. We had, Paul Martino on we had Paul Martino on, who was, uh, again, talking about this collective intelligence. And yeah. he, you know, he doesn't think AI can solve the fake news problem because there's so much context. I think the, the fundamental things that we're seeing here at SiliconANGLE, and, and my opinion is that a new trust network networks will develop. And you said something last time you were on the Silicon Valley Friday show around paying it forward is, is part of the way right. that you've uh, you know been been uh, interacting uh, in the valley, and that's been your your thing. Yeah, I mean, you, this you, trust people have to build these new trust relationships because now data is coming at us so fast. How do you vet what's real? Because you never know. I mean, I could throw a haymaker tomorrow with a, with a blog post and cause a shitstorm, and then. Someone's career could be ruined, well, it could be true, it could be false. Well, so, the, I mean, you could look at it two ways. I mean, so the open nature of the internet is trust everything, right? And accept everything. Actually, so like, I mean, if you think about like what we're doing in the security world, our world is like, we trust nothing. <laughs> like, we only allow, Lumio only allows things that have been licensed for trust and been certified to pass. It basically says no to everything else. It's the actually complete opposite of the internet uh, networking model, and maybe there's an analog for information, which is instead of, like you don't want to restrict information, but if you're going to say everything can just pass through as it is, we, and you have no way to filter it using mm -hmm. AI, you're going to run risks. It's like a bad news story is the equivalent of a virus. Yeah. in a computer network, yeah. right? Which is like, say, hey, my network's completely open, whoever wants to use it, use it, and bam, phishing tech, take down the whole company, ransomware, and that's like, oh, well, we have to get some security in place. Well, yeah. if the information, if the news network, or Twitter, or the social network, has no filters, you're going to have the same issue, so I think. It's so is there a protected uh, tweet these days? You got to protect yourself with some sort of, you know, viral disease that's going to go on on Twitter? Are you here? Is Here's it HIV your... Twitter, or, you know? Yeah, I don't know, I wouldn't go there. But uh, I think it's, uh, I think, drop, cut that out completely. So, uh, no, but I, but I. But well, speaking I, of Twitter, Mark Andreessen made a comeback. You saw that, he tweeted. No, I haven't said, what did he say, he, I'm he, back? His first tweet was, he said, I will take questions and if I answer your email, um, you have to pay $20 for black women who code. Oh, he got Ben did that. I think it's really great, actually. Ben did that. I yeah. sort of, I, ben I, was first. Mark was second. Okay, so Mark and, came out of the retirement, yeah. and the, the commentary, the memes that were traveling yeah. on this, were he didn't want Trump to have all the fun. Oh, because you know Mark's pretty prolific on Twitter. He can be right. Yeah. He had the tweet storm. So, um, but but I but I think by the way, if you had to pay after every five tweets a day, it might be more interesting too. This is a great business. I always said this would be well, a great I, business. I think the banker said retweet me. I'll give you twenty dollars if you retweet me. Yeah, well, he didn't retweet me. But then the, there's a fake bot that retweeted me and said, you know, I'm like, you're not the real Mark. Mark Andreessen. So I I think we're at the beginning. So you know, if you net it out, we're at the beginning of I think uh, somebody actually thinking about what the next business model is for social media, particularly as it, as it deals with information. This is not like picture, like, you know, puppy pictures are free. You know, your kid's snowsuit that up in Tahoe, that's really free. But I think if they are going to become information vehicles, I think people are going to look at yeah. it. Plus it's a great opportunity for the media companies to try to figure out how to make some money. Well, you know, Andreessen's obviously huge, and Ben as well, Bitcoin yeah. fanatics as well as we are. I think what I liked about his tweet was, if you can read through the, the gesture there, I, what I was reading into it, to your point about the business model is, Twitter's a transactional network. It's not a really social network per se. It's a communications 
quote John Markoff, uh, how he used to talk about blogs and podcasts. Yeah. It's like CB radio for you know the world, right? People are talking, you know, loudspeaker. But there is an element, what he's doing with the $20 concept is that there's the micropayment concept of, for certain things, there's transactional opportunities. Yes, well, I mean, I mean, here's the issue, it's like people are willing to pay for stuff that's good. Right, I mean, we learned a couple of lessons, right, in the last couple of months, like the paywall actually worked for Washington Post. That Jeff Bezos, he never loses, does he? And uh, he's really <laughs> well, good. Well, the New yeah. York Times says every time that Trump says the New York Times is a failing paper, the the, yeah. new, the subscriptions go through the roof. But, it, so, but if, if you strip the politics aside for a second, what it tells you is that there's an increasing population that are looking for better informed than embedded edited mm -hmm. commentary and information. And that's why, you know, because when the paywalls came out, you spend your entire life trying to figure out how to yeah. get around the paywall, right? And now people are saying, you know, given all the junk out there, I'd rather pay the paywall. It's not, it's not a political story, because I actually like the news source. Um, maybe, you know, maybe you'll see similar uh, um, kind of filters yeah. on, on Twitter where there, there's kind of like, Good content and bad content. I mean, it's a it's well, a we've complex. We've been getting role. a lot of reactions on the Silicon Valley Friday show when I bring up politics because and I even put a Facebook post and said, should we do a, some political coverage on on the Cube and kind of have a meet the press? Now I didn't mean meet the press like a yeah. political show, and then it was almost dead 50-50. No, yes, it was almost polarized. Um, and but then one guy texted. I got all these direct messages and, and texts uh, personally and said, you should do it because Bezos owns the Washington Post. All the tech executives yeah. in, uh, in D.C. Um, you know. Travis at Uber is involved in a lot of policy yeah. stuff. More than ever, tech is closer to politics now than ever. In my, and since my lifetime in tech now, in 30 years I've been in, in the tech industry, it was never about politics. I mean, it was, ne it was, it was like you know, more libertarian on, the, on, on our side, yeah. but now more than ever there's a threat of politics. Well, you, you've lost the localization element, right? Because things are, because of the, because of the internet, there isn't like a, something happened in Palo Alto and only people in Palo Alto knew about it. Everyone knew about it, yeah. right? So I, so I think that's why it actually, it creates a great disruption opportunity, right? So on some level, I think the tech entrance into politics is yet another form of, um, of disruption. Actually, yeah. there's a very, um, you know, I mean, there's OpenGov. I don't know if you've seen that company, which is yeah. showing how localities use budgets. It's a great yeah. um, 8VC company. A and lot of big data involved in politics. Yes. And again, a lot of another commentary I heard was, you know, Hollywood's paying attention to Silicon Valley, obviously, and so is DC. So, you know, the question is, is that for us vets that I had Jared Leto. I got to do a selfie with him. He looks just like my IT guy. Really? Yeah, he's a cool guy. He came by the office. So, so yeah. we should bring that warrior's mentality to politics, what do you think? Um, <laughs> Are you on the yes or no or maybe? You know, I, I'm, I'm going to hit the button on both sides. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, oh, I mean, you know, you're supposed to do that because, I mean, on one hand, the I tech think... tech policy stuff is important to me. I, immigration's huge for me. I'm real pro-entrepreneurship. Yes. To me, I think there's some real tech policy issues that should be um, talked about. Well, I mean, I, look, I, I, there's two reasons why it it's not about happen. Trump or Hillary. I'm not, I'm not into no, this I, stuff. Mean, I, I mean, on some level, look, tech is an increasingly large part of the economy and the economy and politics go together, right? And, and, and Washington go together, right? There's, there are implications for, for these things. So I think- I mean, look, transportation is being disrupted by Uber. That goes a whole, that goes, that's a generational disruption. Uh, drones is a generational disruption. Right. Cyber warfare that we talked about at RSA, yes. huge generational disruption. These are political threads. 
I mean, they have an, yeah. an era of influence that smart people. Politics, politics are war by any other mean, right? Yeah. And they're, uh, yeah. it's, it, it, you know, and politics are usually about some one side trying to get its perspective or its its interest advanced versus yeah. others. Uh, I think it'd be very interesting to do that, but you, you, can you do it in a way that's not in the hot house of Silicon Valley just by itself? Yeah. So could, I just worry about politics in general because it's just the 50-50 split right now is just you alienate 50% of the people and, and there's no civil discourse of any kind right now. It's just, I mean, my Facebook feed is just is just so bad. It's ridiculous. Well, I'm I'm actually more of an optimist. I think uh, we're in a great national debate with about kind of future direction of the country. But I, I got to tell you, you know, it's not exactly Kent State burning cars, protesting in Washington, and you know, half a million American troops in Southeast Asia, right? So we've had periods in our history. I think we've actually gotten. Uh, maybe this is another way of saying I'm old, yeah. right? But it's uh, we get comfortable. We get comfortable, and we forget that the world's like a real place, and it, it's going to ebb and flow. And there are going to be things we agree with, and with things we we disagree with. You know, we're doing this, and look, I mean, the economy. You can argue it's lousy or bad. I mean, the economy is actually not terrible. I mean, there's part, but there are parts of the country that have completely been missed by economic recovery. That's a lot about what the debate is about. So we in tech, if we're gonna kill jobs, I mean, there has been a couple of folks actually recently said, should there be a robot tax? Like if you're gonna remove Gates a job. that thing. Yeah, no, it's a really, so I mean, if the we're basic gonna. basic income thing too is another one. Basic income, so, and by the way, you gotta love the, the Nordics, because they're all sitting on a pool of oil too, so it's really easy to <laughs> have basic income when the, your whole entire, you have like three million people sitting on a hundred million dollar, hundred million people's worth of natural resources <laughs> and wealth. You're looking pretty good there. Yeah, so I like Denmark. Sitting pretty. It is, but, but I think if you, if you really wanna have that political debate, you gotta, you gotta look at what the implications are for the whole country, not yeah. like, is it going to give me a 15X return Turn on my fund, or my company, or you know my you know can I? I mean, this shouldn't be like, do I be wealthy enough to get a second vineyard? The question should, right? I mean, right? You know, it's like, Mark, you know, it's like the, that's what a lot of people are worried about because we have, we also have, just like New York and L.A. and other places, we have enormous concentrations of wealth, yeah. and it, it'll definitely warp your perspective. Uh, I worry about the security too. I mean, the ability to manufacture dirty bombs and all kinds of chemical warfare. I mean, smuggling into. Well, the we countries. are really have like we, we're like on the Sunday talk show version of the Cube now, yeah. right? Yeah. It's yeah. it's not really Friday afternoon. It's like you know I'm just I'm just waiting you know for like Northrop Grumman to come in and do the ads <laughs> in between the debates. And like next will have Senator next oh, up right. after next Alan up. Senator McCain talking about the issue number two. <laughs> yes. um, Alan, always great to have yeah. you. Obviously. Great, and I love your economic uh, background on all this yeah. stuff and less less conversation. Great stuff, and again, entrepreneurship. Again, this is what this is what, and it could be worse. It could be really worse than it is right now. Well, I, I mean, we have an enthusiasm for building the future because it's what we've been doing for the last 70 years, and I just hope we can spread it to something. Be, be yeah. I, take some of that traffic and get it out of the peninsula into the rest of the country. <laughs> I always say, if I'm going to build a development development center in the emerging world, I'm going to start with Detroit. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all coming here too. Detroit is coming here to Silicon Valley yeah. as well. Silicon Valley Friday Show, Alan Cohn, wrapping it up. See you next week. I'm John Furrier. Thanks for watching.